Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? I'm the advertising man for a very funny new movie called The Hollywood Nights. Come on. Now, now wait a minute. We got a problem with the coming attractions. Hey, come on, will you give me a break? I'm on your side. The problem is they won't let me show you any of the good stuff. And believe me, it's really good. Like they won't let me show you what this Hollywood night peeping Tom with a Polaroid's taking pictures of. And I definitely can't show you what the cheerleader in the middle forgot to wear. But believe me, it raised more than a few eyebrows. This Hollywood night just did something really humiliating. You are so immature. I am not immature. But can I show you what it was? No way. You'll just have to guess why the heavyweight in the horn rims is having an attack. Or why the cop is in the can and not on his beat. Get back, Bimbo! Or what's really being barbecued in the burning bag. Or what the Hollywood Knights put in the punch to give it such a special tang. I've had this taste in my mouth before. No, they won't let me show you any of the really good stuff. But I can tell you that the movie shows everything. Look, we're all in our underwear. The Hollywood Nights is hysterically funny. Take it from me. Would I lie to you? It's a masterpiece. It's wild, it's sexy, it's outrageous, it's revolting. <laughs> and so are the Hollywood Nights. But they're not just a movie. They're about as nice a bunch of guys you'd ever want to know. Good, clean American kids fighting for truth, justice, and anything they can get away with. I'll kill you! Parents groups are trying to stop them. The cops are trying to annihilate them. And only you can help. Force your way into the theaters. Save the Hollywood Knights. They do the same for you. They knocked my pants off. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Hollywood Nights from 1980. The studio was Columbia Pictures, the release date was May 30th, 1980. The running time, 91 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget, $2.5 million, and the box office took in $10 million, making it the 61st ranked movie of 1980. Rotten Tomatoes, well, you can't really go by them for this one. It's 14% rotten from 7 reviews. So the problem with Rotten Tomatoes, and there's many problems with Rotten Tomatoes, but often they don't go back very far with older films, meaning they don't have the ability, or simply don't care, to find the original reviews from the time. Now, to be fair, in the case of The Hollywood Nights, Roger Ebert and other big-name critics didn't bother to review the film. Janet Maslin, who was indeed a top critic back then, did write a review for The New York Times and gave it a negative review, as expected. This film, as you will discover, is not for the critics at all. It tries to be a cross between American Graffiti, Animal House, and Porky's, though Porky's wasn't even released yet. But you get my point. Now, I've always enjoyed this film for what it is. It's just mindless fun with a retro feel. So movies that were taking place in the 1950s and 60s were all the rage in the 1980s. So the films I mentioned like American Graffiti and Animal House, they're far superior. The Hollywood Nights is still worth exploring since it's a comedy from an era long lost when filmmakers weren't so self-conscious and worried about making sure that nobody was offended. This was an era where critics actually went to journalism school. Unlike today's 
basically glorified bloggers that try to pass as journalists. Uh, this was an era before screen names and faceless text and using Twitter as a means to write your article. And to just kind of go off on a tangent here, look, if you click on articles or get excited by any headline that says, Twitter lost its mind, yada, yada, yeah, skip this movie because you simply forgot what real fun was like. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Now, this is mostly a cast of unknowns, but it's also a cast of a handful of actors that did hit it big a few years down the road after this film was released. Today, the film is marketed as having Michelle Pfeiffer and Tony Danza as the main stars, and while they do have parts in the film, they are far from the main stars. Pfeiffer would go on to be the biggest star, of course, but this was her major film debut. Two years later, she would get a break starring in Grease 2, and then a year after that in Scarface with Al Pacino. Now, Tony Danza was already known for his work on the TV show Taxi, so this was his film debut. He would go on to have major success in the 80s, starring in Who's the Boss, starting in 1984. Now, the actual star of this film is Robert Wool, and Fran Drescher is essentially his co-star. This was also Wool's film debut, and by the late 1980s, he would have some great character actor roles in major films like Good Morning Vietnam, Bull Durham, and Batman from 1989. Fran Drescher, like Tony Danza, would go on to stardom in her own sitcom in the early 90s with The Nanny. But her film debut was actually in Saturday Night Fever, and then the next was a film similar to The Hollywood Nights called American Hot Wax. The director, Floyd Muttrux. Now, he started as a screenwriter in the 1970s, and he would only direct five films, including the aforementioned American Hot Wax. He would go on to be a producer for films like Dick Tracy, starring Warren Beatty, and American Me, starring Edward James Olmos. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with the sounds of a radio disc jockey saying there's going to be a big gathering at Tubby's Drive-In that night and then proceeds to play the Beach Boys Fun, Fun, Fun. The year is supposed to be 1965. Our hero, New Bomb Turk, that's Robert Wool, has decided to take photographs with a giant camera of that era of the girls he goes to school with who are sunbathing by the pool. In true 1980s fashion, we get a few gratuitous topless scenes, which were always a delight for teenagers pre-internet. However, the leader for the group of girls, which is Sally, played by Fran Drescher, does have her top on. I'm sorry, guys. We then cut to the keystone cops of the movie. That's Officer Bimbo and Officer Clark, who are two of the more memorable characters in The Hollywood Nights. What the, what's the song he's got now? The Tijuana uh, uh, Taxi with yeah. the, the horn honk. The meep meep at the end of it. What the hell is that supposed to be? That's popular music. Where the hell's the story in the meep meep? Yeah. I'll tell you what popular music yeah, is. I know what popular music is. You don't know. I do. The hell I, I know what Starting I know what tomorrow, today will be history. Oh shit. Uh, Nevins, uh, there's some distracting noise in the kitchen. Could you see what that is? That's the Beverly Hills Police Department. <clears throat> They're out there with Juanita. So Newbaum and his buddies are constantly screwing with the cops, and they often get away with it. Even when they're being detained, they chuck an egg at the cop car when their backs are turned. The Hollywood Knights are a car club led by Newbaum. Tonight is Halloween, and the next day, the main hangout for the kids, Tubby's Drive-In, is going to be torn down for new office developments. The locals who are annoyed by the Knights are having a meeting to talk about the future once Tubby's is torn down. In the meantime, the Knights pull off the flaming bag of dog shit on the doorstep gag, which Nevins, Richard Shaw, and Jacqueline Lee French fall for as the Knights drive away victorious, mooning them in the process. I assure you that you and none of the rest of you have to worry about the Hollywood Knights any longer. We won't be hearing from them again. (laughs) 
there. Out. Uh, excuse me, uh, Juanita's busy. I'll get the door. Fine. No, really, I'm horrible. Oh, yes, it's quite not. Oh, So, as you might have gathered, there really isn't a plot to this film. It's a night in the life of these groups of teenagers. And I suppose the closing of Tubby's is a loose plot point, but it's really a fun string of vignettes, which makes this the type of film that you can put on at any time and enjoy it, which is probably why it did so well on cable back in the day. In any case, the Knights are initiating a new group of recruits. Their task in order to join the Knights is to be dropped off in a secluded location. In this case, Watts, which is a rough neighborhood in Los Angeles if you didn't know. Just Google Watts if you want some more context. The recruits are then told to remove all of their clothes, and then each of them must carry a full-size car tire, used to cover themselves, to the local radio station by 2 in the morning to give an on-air dedication to Tubby's. Next, the knights are hiding in a tree at a park where they know that the girls from the pool earlier in the day will arrive to change into their skimpier outfits that their parents won't approve of. Of course, New Bomb almost falls from his hiding place. That's little Brazier comes Bimbo. Yeah! Here he comes, man! I want to tell you, butthole, something. This shit is way out of line. And you squirrels better have some nuts in your mouth, or you're going downtown! Next, we are introduced to the hottest couple in town, Susie Q, how original, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Duke. Tony Danza. Hey, he's not actually named Tony in this one. I think the main draw for this film years later, uh, after this film was released, was to see both of these actors early on in their career. But again, they really have small roles in this film. Michelle Pfeiffer, as you can imagine, looks absolutely stunning. Susie is a car hop at Tubby's, and Duke is annoyed since he's jealous of all the guys hitting on her. And basically, their storyline is supposed to be the American graffiti angle of the film. But besides the novelty of seeing Pfeiffer and Danza together, they're really the worst part of the film. It just kind of feels out of place, while the rest of the movies is like Porky's. After Susie and Duke's little tiff, Bimbo and Clark arrive at Tubby's to harass the Knights. Hey, hey, don't wait. It's just a car. Get these overpriced sewing machines out of here. It's just a cop like the bus ball. Let's Let's go. That new bomb. I said, you guys stand tall. We stand tall. Okay. You can listen too. I want to tell you something. If I smell any rubber tonight, Benedict Canyon, anywhere around there, your ass is grass. And I'm the lawnmower. You got it? Punks got it? You got that, boys? His ass. Yes, okay? Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, officer. Let's go! Okay, Move it out! The movie hops around from scene to scene for various gags all around town, whether it be at the school gym, where the city council is giving a talk about the new office buildings while a few students bare-ass the speakers. <laughs> but then we are introduced to Dudley Laywicker, played by Stuart Bankin. He's the biggest dork around. And what makes it even more hilarious is at the time, Pankin is clearly not a teenager, but in reality he was 33 years old at the time. Dudley is often the butt of the jokes by the Knights. He's too easy of a mark not to have fun with. 
Another side plot, though it's not even really a plot point, it's just part of random scenes, is the two council folks, Jacqueline and Nevins, who are constantly looking for places to have sex in in between meetings. The funniest was outside the school gym in their car, which of course Dudley stumbles upon and then tries to cover it. <laughs> in the meantime, Bimbo and Clark are still on their beat. Clark, this is so fine. That's New Bomb's car, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a fire hydrant, right? Oh, yeah. So that means all this area here is a tollway zone, right? All of it. That's car three. We got a tollway out here in front of the Beverly High School, a 65 L Camino Silver Gray. Now, what the hell's going on? We're going to need some help out here. We've both been uh, assaulted by eggs. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, he's an English guy, he came to fight the Turkish. Back to the school gym assembly, after a dance routine from the school cheerleaders in which one of the girls conveniently forgets to wear her underwear, it was then time for Dudley to perform on stage. However, since the Knights kind of kidnapped him, Newbaum decides to take Dudley's clothes and perform as a stand-in. This leads to one of the most memorable scenes in the film where Newbaum performs his greatest talent. All right. We've had some bad luck this evening, but here's something that nobody can ruin. This is a young man who has won our $500 award. His name is Douglas uh, Dudley Laywicker. Let's show him how proud we are. Let's get him up here. So let's hear it for those that can fart on command and in tune. Newbaum and the Knights escape while leaving Dudley alone in the parking lot, to which the cops think that Dudley was the one farting on stage. The next big prank the Knights decide to pull, they sure do get around in a short amount of time, it's to spike the punch to be delivered to the talent show at the school gym. They trick the caterers into letting them bring in a giant tub, and then they do their thing. Come on, this one is for Tubby. Gentlemen, let's spike the punch. But if you don't want to cry like I do, I said, I'll keep away from the ride. This is the punch for the Beverly Hills Residents Association. Name? No name. Just punch. Don't drink the punch. Hey, don't drink the punch. Don't drink the punch, man. You little son of a bitch. 
Steve, why don't you have some punch? Stay with punch. Like some more? No, thanks. Fine. Well, trick or treat. You're already a treat. <laughs> You're already a trick. Yeah. This doesn't taste right. Yeah, it's good. No, it's, it's not right. I've had this taste in my mouth before. Well, it tastes all right to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, hi. Oh, uh, bastards. I'm just going to ignore them. I'm just, I'm not paying attention to them. There's a young man out there. I mean, if he's looking for somebody called Dick. Is there a Dick here? I've got it, Nevins. It's Spike. They've spiked the punch. Get those officers. Now, I know this taste. Uh, what seems to be a problem, ma'am? Officer, taste this. Taste this. Tell me what you think. does have a little wang in it. Good, though. Excuse me, mind if I have some more? Uh, no, no, please. Thank you. Help yourself. Come on, <laughs> I think you can guess what a little wang really means, and if not, well, they peed in the punch. The next prank is to hijack the PA system while the band performs, and then they replace it with a recording of two gossiping twin girls, the Iron Box twins. That's the one that Newbomb recorded while hiding in the women's bathroom. You do the wind-up. Whoa, stop! In the name of love, before you break my heart, think it over. What'd you think about the Rolling Stones last night? They were so dirty, you know? I mean, that guy's teeth. Did you oh. see them? His skin was even worse than that. But it was a great song. Yeah, a great song. God damn these machines. They never work. What are we doing here, anyway? What are we doing here? We are looking for cute guys. Cute? Like that new bomb Turk. I bet that's cute. Can you imagine having to kiss that face? Oh. Did you see Thunder Thighs over there with Sally? What a slut. Speaking of sluts, did you hear about Jean Freeman? What? I heard she had an abortion in Tijuana last That doesn't summer. surprise me. I heard she gave half the football team the clap. They played like they still had it last week, too. Hey, that was Brendan Shirley Weintraub, the Iron Box Twins, coming to you live from the ladies' room here at Tubby's Drive-In. You asshole! After that, they again kidnap Dudley and steal his clothes to perform as a one-armed violinist. So uh, let, uh, let's welcome, uh, please, um, is a wonderful one-armed, uh, one-armed violinist, Mr. Mr. Sasha Du Da, Mr. Sasha Dabinsky, the one-armed violinist. Uh, let, let's welcome. That, that must be intermittent. Well, uh, the one-armed violence.
Oh, man. So it's a sight gag, but you can hear the old man incredulous after the performance saying that he was holding the violin bow with his deke <laughs> after playing. <laughs> really, it was his hand in his pocket. Newbaum even gets his chance to hook up with Sally since he always makes her laugh. And then the joke's on him when he ends up finishing before they even get started. Now, there are some boring plot points with Susie and Duke, which really drag down the film, in my opinion. So if you're interested, just watch the film. But again, they're really shoehorned into this film. So let's return to the new recruits who are being initiated by the Knights who are stuck in Watts. And they're trying to get to the radio station and being chased by two guys who think they stole their tires from their car since they each have a tire on them. The J on KBLA, the boss with the hot sauce. I'm going to tell you something. This is for lovers only. This is for everybody up on Mulholland Drive. I want you to do me a favor, huh? I want you to put one hand on the radio and the other hand wherever you feel it should be. And that's exactly where you're putting me on Halloween night, 1965, for lovers only. We'll never make it back. It's after one o'clock. Oh, when the sun is down and burns the tile on the roof. Hey, how you doing, Mrs. Johnson? Maybe these guys can help us. Hey, let's ask them. Hey, 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 So the new recruits smoke a joint with the group singing on the corner and head back to Beverly Hills. In the meantime, Bimbo and Clark are trying to grab a meal in the car at Tubby's. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. No, no, I'm all right. One more call about those nights. Your ass is in the meat grinder. Listen, I don't know what you've been doing all night, but you're going to have a lieutenant all over your butts tomorrow. There was a kidnapping at my pep rally, and somebody puttered their way around the gym at showtime. 
Then you two end up assaulting an honor student. Then the lawn over at the country club dance was torn up. Somebody urinated in the refreshments, played a loon recording over the PA. Then somebody went on stage and stuck his finger out in place of his dick or something. I've never seen anybody as asleep at the wheel as you two have been tonight. Now wake up! You get it? Hey, new bomb! Where's your El Camino? Guys, such an asshole. What the hell did you say? What the hell did you say? I said it's cold. Fed up with Officer Bimbo in particular, Newbomb decides to do his greatest prank of the night, with Bimbo being the recipient. Now, it's pointless to play the audio here since the hilarity is all visual. Basically, the guys clog the toilet at Tubby's with tons of toilet paper deep down the pipes and then proceed to lock Bimbo in the bathroom. So when he flushes, the whole bathroom floods. He tries to escape, but he's totally locked in by the knights. Outside of the bathroom doors, the guys dump piles of trash from Tubby's in front. So when he does get out after slipping around in the filth in the bathroom, he'll land in a pile of garbage. It's absolutely hilarious to watch. Okay, there's about 15 minutes left, and this really isn't a cliffhanger sort of film. You get some drag racing in the streets, police car crashes, some respect for Dudley from the Knights, radio dedications, and some semi-serious plot points that are completely out of place, but don't let that deter you from the zaniest throughout this film. Again, if you're a fan of those early 80s sex comedies, this should be right up your alley. It's just a fun movie with so many quick gags, and it's a blast to watch over and over. Plus, it has a great soundtrack from the early 50s and early 60s. All right, some fun facts. Tubby's Drive-In was actually a closed-down A&W Root Beer Diner in Los Angeles. So the director was originally going to direct Urban Cowboy with John Travolta, and instead of casting Deborah Winger, he wanted Michelle Pfeiffer. In any case, Muttrux didn't actually direct the film, and you know the rest. He directed The Hollywood Nights. All right, we have a very special guest. It's the return of Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. He returns to damn good movie memories. He joins me to discuss his love of this forgotten gem. And I'll be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, it has been far, far too long since I had this next guest on, and it is from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Ian Wadley is back, and what a perfect movie to start his his return to damn good movie memories. Thank you for joining me, Ian. Oh yeah, uh, pleasure to be back, man. Well, I thank you for doing that because the nat- the natural uh, follow up to that is, does your beer have a little wang in it? <laughs> no, I wish, but he's in San Francisco and That's I'm here right. in New Orleans. <laughs> so when you first saw this movie, I Mike, it had to be a video rental or was it on cable TV for you? It, it was HBO. Okay. HBO. I, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't see it at the theater uh, because even at, you know, this came out when I, was, I believe I was six. This came out in 80. Yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a very <laughs> liberal grandparent and uh, father that took me to see whatever, you know, they right. didn't care because I, I would shut up, you know, I, <laughs> I knew how to behave <laughs> in a movie and they, they wanted to see good shit and I wanted to get out of the house too. But uh, no, I saw this on HBO, but it was a staple. And that was an era of HBO that only old farts like me know when there was only like 13 or 14 movies on a month. You know? Right, exactly. And 
and you would, you know, like the old joke that HBO stands for, hey, Beastmaster's on. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there were certain movies that they showed all the time. And this was one that I just fell in love with. And, uh, you know, to me, it's the perfect blend of American Graffiti and Porky's. Right. Uh, you know, and, and it came out in the middle, you know, of course, of, of those two movies. But uh, I think it's an just such an underrated gem and I'm so glad it gets any attention these days. I was so excited, you know, when it first was released on DVD, right? Cause I, you know, I'm so old. I remember like, Oh God, you know, all these, these movies will never make it to DVD. And then it was like, Oh, they'll never make it to Blu-ray. And uh, <laughs> mark my words, it's going to be on 4k here in, in a little while. And, <laughs> uh, I, I'm so happy about that because I think it deserves it, you, you know, but you talk to a lot of people, they don't remember it or know it by name, you know, but you're hard pressed to find anybody once they see it, you know, they don't fall in love with it because it's just, it's great. So I'm glad you brought up, it, it truly is a combination of American Graffiti and Porky. So I'm assuming you saw both of those films before this? Well, well, no, I saw this before Porky's. Okay. okay. Uh, so you did, did see it right when it basically came out to HBO. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw it before Porky's, and I had seen uh, American Graffiti on television. Okay. Well, you know, my, my dad was a big fan of that. I'm, I'm not that old. I saw American Graffiti when it came out. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to go there. for. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so why don't you think this movie got more love? I, I think it was just, uh, you know, the, the distribution that it had. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember who put this out. Was it was so it Columbia. Hologram? So was Polygram Pictures, Polygram Pictures was in Columbia, Casablanca actually too, where the production yeah. comes, but Columbia distributed it. Right, but I, I just don't remember, you, you know. And there's a lot of films in '80 that I very vividly remember their theatrical release, and I remember either, you know, knowing they were at the theater or at the drive-in, and I had just no recollection, so I don't even know if this played theatrically in my hometown. It very well could have, but. You know, we had a theater, one I loved growing up, the Town Cinema, mm -hmm. and that's where, like, all the, the the canon movies would go and shit like yeah. that. <laughs> you know, all the, all the shit that would be there for one week, you know, right. and it was it was the dirtiest theater. Your feet would stick to the floor. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I saw so many great, you know, that's where Charles Bronson movies would go. And, sure. You know, all, the, all the horror movies that weren't, you know, franchises or, you, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, the, the low budget ones yep. would either be at, at the drive-in in the summertime or, you know, the, the other three seasons, they would be at the town cinema. Yeah. I, I just don't think it was, it was distributed well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you really didn't have, you know, stars. I mean, the closest thing to a star and it was Tony Danza. Yeah. Who, I, I mean, I don't even know if the first season of taxi was on yet, but you're right. I mean, he would have been the biggest name and the, they were advertising it after you would think that Michelle Pfeiffer and Tony Danza are the stars and they aren't. Yeah. I mean, they, they just used to, you know, they used to sell that once it went on DVD and stuff, they put their faces on. Yeah. But you know, Robert Wool is the true, you know, star of this movie. Absolutely. And, and he's so brilliant in it, but I, I mean, you know, I try to think like, what the fuck did I see him in between this and, and Tim Burton's Batman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bull Durham. Uh, uh, later on, yeah, well, Bull Durham was, was much later. Well, I think Bull Durham might have been 89 as well. But yeah. uh, then he, he had that show Arliss on yep. HBO in, I believe, the early 90s. 
Yep. But, uh, it, you know, I mean, th- this movie should have made him a star. In, yeah. in my opinion, at least, uh, you know, he had the comedy chops of like a young, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, Tom Hanks and stuff like Bachelor Party. And I put sure. this up with that. It's, it's that that funny. But, uh, you know, it, it's a weird marketing thing. You know, it was set in the in the what, uh, 60s and stuff or late yep. 50s. And, yep. you know, maybe that had something to do with it, because, I mean, of course, in the mid 70s, you know, Happy Days was all the rage. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, that shit kind of dies down. This comes out, you know, like four or five years after the prime of Happy Days. So I, I think there was probably a lot of contributing factors, but mostly just enough people didn't know it or, or hear about it. Well, when you think about but it, in it, 1980, there were three huge comedies. You had Airplane, Blues Brothers, and Caddyshack, so maybe it just got lost in the mix, too. Right. But, uh, but man, if you had HBO, yeah, and I, I would say almost everybody I know besides you that knows this are, you know, my age or older and they all knew it from just constantly being late night on on hbo yeah when would be the last time you think you watched the film oh man i'll tell you what it's probably been i think i bought the i bought the blu-ray when it came out on blu-ray <laughs> so did I. <laughs> uh, I i was like oh shit you know and uh but i think probably the last time i watched it was the dvd and, and and the funny thing is, I even have it on on Voodoo. I have a digital copy of it, uh-huh. you know, because I just love it. But it's one of those I've seen so many times sure. that that I just, you know, I, I put it aside for a while. But I would love to go back to it. I mean, now, of course, that we're talking about it, I'm going to go back. But so many scenes are just uh, burned into my head. You know, my dick was in the punch, you know, and <laughs> and uh, I need my puffer and my puffer. You know, and it's funny too. Like scenes that I laughed at as a kid, right. that I didn't, even, I didn't even understand. Mm-hmm. I, I've talked about that before. Like Cheech and Chong movies, I loved as a kid, right. but I didn't get the drug humor because I had no idea what they were doing. But it was mm-hmm. funny. Uh, I remember the the scene where he, he's with Fran Drescher and he comes too quick. Right. He's like, <laughs> I came. I came, I'm glad I came. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was. <laughs> I thought he was funny. You know. Uh, okay, so, so at the time, who are you going to pick, Fran or Michelle Pfeiffer? Who are you going with? Oh, Fran. Fran yeah, all the way. Absolutely. Fran all the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm so sick. I even like her voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just this movie. I mean, there's so many, so many classic parts to it, and and you know, there's some, there's even some heartwarming shit on it, like you know, the story with. Uh, What's again, the guy that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's boyfriend and shit, you know? Yeah, dude. And stuff. Yeah. You know, but damn, Robert Wool is just is so hilarious in this. And, you know, the the the, the kids trying to get into the to the Hollywood nights. I got to do all the fucked up shit. And, yep. Uh, you know, and uh, and the two cops, of course, are great. Oh, I mean, I, I, bimbo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I spent. <laughs> how do I look? Like a jerk, like a perfect jerk. <laughs> and I, I used to run around as a kid all the time and go, Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, he's an English guy, he came to fight the Turkish, and nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. Oh. You know, like, you never seen Hollywood Nights? <laughs> you know, but that shit, I mean, I, I bet you I've probably seen this movie <sighs> close to 40 times. Yeah. And and 
I haven't watched it since whenever the DVD came out, probably late nineties. But that's that's how ingrained it is to me. Yeah. You know? So I think if the film was remade today, uh, they would definitely get better fart noises for Robert Wolf's character. <laughs> <laughs> Though it's super funny, you could tell like, oh, they they didn't spend any budget on that. That which brings up a good question: If it was remade today, uh, who would you cast, and would you replace it? Would you not do in the '60s? Would you maybe do in the '80s? Like, what would you do? I don't. I don't know because if they made it today, it would suck. You know, right. you know it, would, it would be so politically correct. It would. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think you can make movies like this. I think there's a market for it. Sure. uh, And I think there's an audience for it that doesn't even know it's, you know, they, they, you know, I don't think they know how much they would like something like this Mm -hmm. because they're not exposed to anything like this. But I think any young kid would laugh their ass off at this movie. Yeah. Yeah. because I, I, I don't watch anything new. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's why it's called Damn Good Movie Memories. So. Yeah, I, I can't think of uh, any e- even younger actors, you know, like uh, Michael Sarah. I don't know. But shit, well, he's probably 40 now. I, right. I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think you could remake this right now. But if, if you had to, uh, no, I, I think it, it needs to be stuck in the same exact time zone because I okay. think there's some. And uh, I, I think the innocence of that era, mm-hmm. or the per- the perceived innocence of that era, right. is is a lot of, a lot of its charm. I mean, every generation thinks they invented fucking and, <laughs> and partying and stuff, but they didn't. No, but but there was a different era where everybody wasn't staring down at their phone and people yeah. got out more. And you know, I, it's just it's a perfect time capsule. It so is. yeah, I I, I I think you would you would fuck it up if you tried to if you tried to set it in the eighties or, or whatever, you know, it'd be like all those Hollywood movies, it'd be set in 83 and they'd be playing songs from 86 and, <laughs> and old farts like me would get pissed. But, uh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up the music because shockingly this soundtrack's awesome. Or I don't know if it, if it was actually released as a soundtrack, but the music in the film, it's not as good as American graffiti, but man, I think most of the budget went to the soundtrack because you had Motown, Doo-Wop, the Beach Boys. Uh, I yeah, I mean, how, how did you feel about the soundtrack? Oh, I absolutely love the soundtrack because uh, even as a kid, I loved that era. I mean, I had uh, both American graffiti soundtracks. Yeah, me too. And, and and listened to them regularly. But back then, I, I there wasn't as big of an issue licensing music as there is now. That's a good point. Uh, you, you know, nowadays, you know, you have to spend a fortune. Sometimes, you know, there's I, I saw something the other day. They were talking about a movie that uh, what they spent to get one song, you know, independent movies have been made for less than, you, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. So and, and you saw like a lot of movies get tied up from the 80s just due to musical uh, references or, you know, uh, rights and everything. Heavy mm-hmm. metal didn't come yep. up for years because of the soundtrack. Uh, the Wildlife, Cameron yes. Crowe's pseudo circle, uh, a sequel to Fast Times Regiment High. Yep. Musical issues. You see stuff being released on uh, Blu-ray and DVD, and it's not the same music you heard before because now they got to pay much more. Yep. Hold on, I gotta, let, I gotta let this cat out. <laughs> no yeah. worries. Um, but you're right. I mean, even TV shows like WKRP, I don't even think has a lot of the original music because of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a shame that classic scene where, uh, you know, Johnny Fever's playing Animals by Floyd. Right. You know, if, if you if you get the DVD now, it, it's just playing something, some stock shit. 
Right. Because, you know, so it's it's just a different era, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So any any final thoughts? Obviously, you want people to see this. What would you uh, what would you if you were pitching this to someone? Because I know you you have a famous story of you trying to tell uh, your coworker to see airplane. They just didn't get it. So like, how, right. would you, how would you pitch this to someone that that hasn't seen it? Um, it'd be like, hey, you, you like dick fart jokes, you know, <laughs> stuff, you know, people screwing. And uh, I, it, it's just a great comedy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I would have to know somebody's taste. Sure. Really, you know, and I, I think that's the hardest thing I find with uh, co-workers mm-hmm. is not only music or, or, you know, musical taste, but movie taste. I, I'm into such different shit and, and a lot of people I'm around just it's like you're talking a foreign language. Right. You know, the same kid who didn't like Airplane, you know, thinks the first Transformers is the coolest movie ever made. So. Right. <laughs> you know, what, what am I going to do there? You know? Yeah, that's uh, true. I think, you know, you'd have a better chance pitching this at either a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who just wants to hear some cussing. But but then again, that that's not even. It's not a big deal know, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They, they can watch that on basic cable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. yeah, absolutely right. You know, but I, I don't know. I just to, to me, it's it's a no brainer. If you like funny movies, this is a funny fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't have to sell this, but I but I feel I need to. But then again. If it's out on Blu-ray, you know, there, there's a reason. There's enough people who know about it. Well, I shouldn't say enough, but, well, enough to get it there. But mm-hmm. I, I want more people to know about it. And I was so excited to see it, uh, you know, available on Vudu, you know, on a streaming site. Yeah. You know, that's great, you know. But thank God Michelle Pfeiffer's in it, or that probably never would have happened. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, exactly. And again, as we had mentioned, I, I think people that have seen American Graffiti, people obviously have seen Porkies. If you've seen that and you haven't seen this, then it's an obvious no-brainer. But that, that's the sad thing is, you know, in this day and age, I'd be hard-pressed to talk to somebody who knows what the fuck Porky's and, and American Graffiti is. You know, I mean, definitely American the, Graffiti, yeah. You know, anybody under the age of, of 40, you yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely, which is a shame. So I was just going to say, enough of my yapping. Go buy this movie. Trust me. That's right. That's right. Thanks again, Ian. No problem. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video in San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday. And one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.